electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks very much. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, your post-Fed planning meeting with the Investment Committee. What to do with your money following another big-time rate hike and now expectations of even more in the months ahead. Joining me for the hour today, Kerry Firestone, Josh Brown, Jim Labenthal, and Steve Weiss. Let's check the markets. Just past 12 noon in East, we're lower across the board. Dow's down a little more than 100. NASDAQ down one and a third percent. 367 is the yield on the 10-year. Note the two-year was at 412 earlier today. So we're watching stocks to see how they continue to react to the Fed. We're watching bonds. As some say, they're the better game in town right now. Now, Farmer Jim. We got some business to take care of right here at the top, and we got a lot to get through uh, early on in our program today. The big news from you today is that you have reduced your S&P 500 target, finally, to 4,279 for year-end from 4,800. Talk me through this, Jimmy. Yeah, thanks for the chuckle. I, I actually appreciate it. Sure. Um, look, facts on the ground have changed, right? And they really have changed a lot over the last seven trading days, starting with those CPI, PPI reports. You know I thought they were going to come in lighter than expectations, and they didn't. I was wrong on that. Um, and because they came in hotter than expectations, the Fed is now more aggressive than I thought they would be. The facts on the ground have changed. I've got to change with them. 4,279, I will point out, still is a healthy return from here to year end. 4,800 would have been a you know 25% return. It's just not going to happen. But ultimately, what we're doing here is we're moving the time frame out to reach that 4,800 by about three to six months. It's not that we're bearish, and I do want to make that point. I'm not bearish on the markets. We know where the stock market is is right now. Um, you, you know how I feel about earnings uh, and where they're going to come in next year. I'll feel a lot better after we start to get those earnings reports in, in Q3. I may have to change after that happens. We'll see. I'm going to respond to the facts on the ground. Um, but I'm not getting bearish. I know there are people out there who are saying, at least on Twitter, hey, when Labenthal gets bearish, I'll start buying. Sorry, folks. That's not where we are right now. Still a healthy return from here to year end. And that's predicated on a few things. Strong labor market. We see it continuing today. Lack of a banking crisis. And my belief that notwithstanding what we saw last week, that inflation has peaked and will be convincingly lower by the year end. Okay, Uh, I appreciate very much you articulating your view and updating our viewers as to where you stand. Now, I mentioned we had a lot to get to on our program today, particularly at the top, uh, because Josh Brown who, you know, some of you may recall over the last few days uh, was looking for a big rally into and out of the Fed meeting. Um, it remains to be seen whether we get it, but at least in the near term, it's, you know, it's, it's not looking great. And Josh owned it yesterday in, in overtime when he came on with me. However, today uh, he's buying Netflix. And that's number one. Number one. Let's do that first. OK, why Netflix now? Why here and now for this name, which you used to own, which you sold in the early part of August? 
Well, I'm I'm buying more than Netflix, but I, know, I don't know, I know if you want to separate this I out. Let's separate it out. Let's go Netflix is, first. All right. So the idea is a barbell approach. Look, I, look, I, I have a I have a tactical model that's been getting risk risk off since the end of February. Was completely risk off as of the end of April. So that like affords you the opportunity um, when when you've done that the whole time the market's in a downtrend. Now all of a sudden people are waking up to the risk and getting more bearish. Now is when you could say, okay, that's what that's what's going to happen. Where are the opportunities? So in the barbell, you're looking for two things. On one end, what is what has already absolutely been killed, and on the other end is what's holding up really well. Like what refuses to go down. Netflix is in the latter category. This stock really did not want to sell off yesterday. It is a big index component, so eventually it did get caught up in the selling. But this stock is still way above its low. Um, and it really is one of the more resilient stocks on my screen, whether you want to measure that by RSI or just an eyeball test. Look at these days that we've had with NASDAQ getting killed, growth stocks getting killed. They're not beating this thing up anymore. And a lot of times you see it green. Actually reminds me a little bit of Uber. The story here is very simple. If you're betting on Reed Hastings to fail, if that's been a bet that you've been wanting to make for the last 20 years with Netflix. You have lost every time. I don't think that'll be the winning bet as these companies go into ad-supported uh, platforms. Netflix is going to leapfrog Disney. Disney's platform will come out in December. Apparently, strategically, it was very important to Netflix to beat them to the punch. So they're actually going to come out way ahead of time. They're talking about November. And recall, they brought in Microsoft to help them build it. What's significant about that for me is that Microsoft built the greatest advertising platform of all time, which was Facebook, uh, when Mark Zuckerberg approached them for help with that a decade ago. So to me, uh, Netflix technically looks like it wants to go higher. There's accumulation even on down days. And the catalyst, the fundamental catalyst, is in front of us. Also keep in mind, this was a stock that was $700 uh, not that long ago. Uh -huh. So I think here at 238, I like the risk-reward. I do have a stop loss in. There is a leash on this trade, but we'll see what happens. Now, you bought, you alluded to the fact that it wasn't the only thing that you bought. Um, and maybe this next one is even more controversial, if you want to use that word, just because these stocks seem to be right in the crosshairs, and that's chips. You bought the SMH. Tell me why. Yeah. Well, it's cut, it's cut in half already. So, I, look, it, this, is, this is in a substantial downtrend. This is the eye of the storm. It's double ordering. It's global. It's dollar. It's like every bad thing that you could throw at one sector um, is, is here already. So uh, these stocks have come down substantially. NVIDIA, which is a big weighting, is in a 60% drawdown. Intel's been cut in half. A lot of the companies that make up this ETF have already been substantially punished. So that's the barbell. So if Netflix represents a stock that's got great relative strength and is holding up, this is the other end of that barbell. Mm -hmm. The damage has already been done. I, I submit this could go lower. I don't care. Um, I, I think now is the time that you want to start thinking about three to five year uh, investments. And this is, an, this is uh, a, an area of the market that I would feel comfortable in being okay. three years from now. If I don't get the bottom, it doesn't matter. Okay, so let's pause and debate. If, if we can. Uh, both of these, uh, the calls and, and the moves, Weiss, and I, I want you to jump in here, not only on, you know, Jim um, suggesting he hasn't thrown in the towel completely, uh, maybe just the washcloth, 
at this point. He takes his, his forecast down. He's sort of sticking to his guns. But even more substantially, I think, are these moves from Josh. Uh, in a sense, if not calling a bottom in stocks like Netflix or, or the SMH, feeling confident enough that they've come down enough that you may not pick the exact moment, but that the time is right now. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so look, I'm not really going to opine on what somebody else's investment style is, but I'll tell you <laughs> how I look oh, at it. Oh, today how ended I a look at it right now. What? Okay, well, actually, now I'm going to opine. Uh, <laughs> saying where stocks come from and using that as justification to buy is ludicrous because that stock was there because you had free money for the longest period of time on record, not only here, but everywhere in the world. So you're using a false benchmark to determine what value is based upon what it was. So that's not for me. And when you gotta look out three to five years to justify where you're buying a stock today, I think you know that's also not the greatest metric. Here's what I see. What I see is that, yeah, maybe things look cheap as they are right now. And I think Jim is, you know, baby steps, Jim. That's all I could say. But, but you're no further along now than you were when the market was at 4,300 and you're looking at 4,800. You've just marked to market your, uh, your price target. What I see is Powell yesterday. And I had dinner last night with the goat. And we're both sitting there sort of chuckling like, what were people thinking buying the market yesterday? And by the way, thank you for the opportunity to put out more shorts. What I heard from Powell was that you're going to come out with an average, an average yield or Fed funds rate of 4.6% at the end of 23. You know what that means? That means they're going to go above it. So they're going to be highly restrictive. He also doubled down. So you went into that call yesterday thinking it's going to be just like the prior three calls. Market's going to have absorbed everything. We're going to rally big. And man, I'm going to look like a genius trading that. Well, guess what happened? Mm -hmm. Powell came out and said, for all you non-believers, for you Jim Labenthal's of the world, I mean what I say, and I really mean it. And we're going to cut jobs, essentially, not directly, but that's what's going to happen. We're going to pressure companies. And I've spoken to three CEOs of major companies in diverse areas of the economy just over the last few days, and they're seeing it. They're seeing it in home prices. So one of the, one of the observations is home prices really haven't come down yet. First, they have to pause, then they come down. So the, the bulls still want to be gradualists and say, hey, it's getting better gradually. And what they're missing is that it's getting worse gradually. Good article in the journal today, which talked about how the credit markets are tightening. You have brilliant, brilliant minds at Goldman and B of A who misjudge the credit markets and are taking a $500 million hickey on valuing the Citrix debt that they had to sell. So, look, things are getting worse. They're getting a lot worse, and they're going to continue. So you've got plenty of time. Anything you wanted to buy because you thought you were going to miss out on it, whether it's Uber, whether it's FedEx, that, look, I'm raising our dividend at 50%. The future's so bright. Stock's going to break out. It's going to 300. Now you can buy it at 150. So be patient. There's no rush to get in. Not when everything is going against you. What's the rush? Put the money in your pocket. I bought three months and I bought two-year treasuries. You know what? Right now it looks like they were a bad buy. But of course, if you hold them to, uh, to duration, you're not going to lose any money. Okay. You get a coupon. That's where you should be putting money. All right. So I knew you just needed a little push, like just like a little nudge. 
to, to, to get going. I, I don't kind, know what that got, first you know, remark was, I and I don't inspired. comment on other people's investment thesis or styles or any of that other BS. I you mean, come on, what are we talking it, to? Scott, you know what it was? Scott, you know what it was? It was uncharacteristic. That's what yeah, it was. Yeah, no, no doubt. And I apologize. So I'm going to, I want Jim and, and Josh to both respond, but first, Carrie, I want to hear what you think. Well, I'm glad I didn't speak before Steve because he definitely would have opined on something I'll say. Mm -hmm. He still might. Which is that, I'm sure, which is that while Steve likes to say it really doesn't matter about the price or the level of the market because that's arbitrary, I would disagree with that. I think it's not arbitrary. And you get to a level, and we did in June, where buyers came into the market and they said, wow, uh, we are 15 times earnings or whatever number they were applying and started to buy and the market went up 17%. That's not nothing. And of course, it was an opportunity to sell. But there's a level at which point we in the market, I mean, our job is to evaluate the value that we see because of the prices. We're not just macroeconomic strategists. We are people who are buying and selling securities for our clients Usually for the long term, I, I know there's plenty of trading that goes on on the desk, but we're really not thinking about day to day. We're really thinking about or what we do is we think about the next year to three years. And we're going to be back at that June 16th level in 3%. And is that a point where, yes, we can take some chance, we can put some money to work because these are very solid companies that we're looking at. Not companies that have no earnings, but 30, 40% margin companies. Mm -hmm. And when Josh says Netflix, I may not agree with Netflix. We owned it, we sold it a, a, a while ago, a long time ago, but there's a price, for example, you know, PayPal. It's a stock that we bought more of. It's come crashing down and it's 17 times earnings. It's similar to Netflix in that most days when the market is down, Pay, PayPal has not gone down, has held in pretty well because all of the sellers are out from the old, you know, guard and the people who are in there now, like with Netflix, they're perhaps new buyers and they're saying, wow, you know, this this stock's doing pretty well for me. And in fact, they've cut costs and they've they've redesigned the, the process. And this is now a level at which down, you know, 70 percent. Uh, there's a good risk reward. And we have to keep applying that type of, right. of, of valuation it's, screen hmm. to it. And so I, I disagree with Steve. You just wait and wait and wait. At a certain point, our job is to decide when we've got a value that presents. The whole thing is about risk reward, right? At some point, the risk reward uh, was bad on a lot of those stocks that were way at those nosebleed levels. Now, you can look at many of them, perhaps, and suggest that the risk-reward is so much better. That's, Josh, I, I think part of your thesis, and I don't think it's necessarily fair, Weiss, either, to suggest that the only reason that Josh bought Netflix was because it came down a lot. I think he articulated more than that, but I'll let Josh respond uh, directly. I, I might not have done that good of a job articulating what I meant specifically on Netflix. Pointing out that it was $700 in and of itself and is now 230 is not meaningful. What is meaningful is when it was $700, it was 65 times forward earnings expectations. Now it's like 20. And I think Steve would agree there is a huge difference between buying a company 60-something times earnings versus 20 times earnings. So that's what I was trying to get across there. Yeah. Um, and, and, of course. 
and Labenthal. And, and, and I, I agree with that. Scott, can, can I just say one thing on that? Yeah. First of all, I don't think markets are arbitrary, number one. But to Josh's point, I agree with that. Netflix is on my shopping list. But here's what helps inform my view is that, and I've mentioned it many times, and this is how bizarre the market is and why things aren't getting better anytime soon. Volkswagen, $90 billion market cap, valuing Porsche at $70 billion plus, leaving $20 billion, getting $18 billion in cash. The core business is two and a half times earnings. So that can't get out of its own way. And the reason is that there are macroeconomic factors that are driving the market down. And to Carrie's point, Carrie's job is to invest in equities. That's why accounts give her money. They don't get, you know, you can disagree with that. They don't give her money to keep in cash. What do they need her for cash for? They need to buy stocks. Yeah, but they My don't give her money to buy crap. Owning stocks. They don't give her money to buy, <laughs> buy crap. She's not buying crap. I mean, come on. Thank you. Thank you, crap. Let's be fair. She doesn't close her I, eyes and just throw no, the darts at the fair, wall because point, she has money in her pocket. That's absurd. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying I'm saying she's not the asset allocator, Scott. There's a huge difference. She's not the asset allocator. Let's ask her, Carrie, how much cash have you ever held? What's the maximum cash you've ever held? And how much could you hold without your clients calling up saying, what are you doing? Well, there are some people for whom we might have 30 percent that's in risk-free, I mean, I would say treasuries to cash. Not, cash is not something we hold lots of, but we don't put everything into equities. So we, we do some, we definitely do some asset allocation. We just don't have many people who would say to us, oh, you know, I've got this many millions of dollars. Can you please hold it all in cash for me? Of course, they don't, they don't do that. Yeah, and that, I mean, we, that. we'd like to have no. it. <laughs> Weiss, um, look, you know, the move that you made that we're going to get to now some 17 minutes in because the others I wanted to debate first. You sold Apple, among a few other things, but you sold completely out of Apple. I did. And look, I don't like the market. It's pretty obvious. What's the biggest market stock out there? It's Apple. Apple has sold off after announcing new products. And, yeah, the new products are going well. I mean, you know, the, the telco companies, you know, I've got an iPhone 10, you know, versus Jim's iPhone 2, and I'm getting $800, <laughs> you know, on, on a trading for that. So, so you want to take a look at the, at, you know, those that are subsidizing the big telcos. But as I said, it's a market stock. I don't think it's particularly cheap. And uh, given my view, I sold it. I'll come back to it. But, you know, I sold before it got back in. It wasn't a great trade getting back in. Mm-hmm. I lost a little dough on it. And I just think there'll be better opportunities and better price. I'm not trying to pick the bottom. What I'm trying to say is the economy is taking a nosedive. And if you listen to the mentality on this show, they're non-believers. If you take a look at the market action yesterday initially, non-believers. I'm looking at a 10-year that's gone crazy today. I'd like to respond. And listen, I'm going to start I think he's directly, because he is directly referring to you. I noticed. I noticed. (laughs) Listen, he's been right. I've given him credit, and I will do it again. He's been right. But I think, like anyone, he's just going on too long with this. What's missing here is, and Scott, you (laughs) Impossible. 
<laughs> you alluded to this. There are yeah. opportunities, both on the big picture and on company specific, which is what Josh and Carrie and I are doing. On the big picture, you can't ignore the strength of the labor market, and this matters. I know everybody's going to say the Fed wants to crush it. But we've been saying that for six months. We've still got initial weekly jobless claims and continuing jobless claims at really low levels. That means consumption. That means 70% of the U.S. economy is humming. At a time, the gasoline prices are down 30% and poised to go down. But you know 50%. what else it means? You, you know what else it means, Jim? It means it, it means it means and you're right, but it means that the Fed is going to be more aggressive. And that's what they told you yesterday. Right. Scott, that's part wait, of the wait, point. Wait. That's why. Let me jump no, in. no, no, let me finish. Let me finish. Um, and that's why you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten different firms out today raising their own expectations for hikes. Right. It's bigger. It's faster. It's longer. Mm-hmm. The Mohammed Al Arian idea so, of and so I could go down doing that today. And I, and I could go down uh, the list on that. And, and on that note, let's add Richard Fisher to the conversation, uh, former president of the Dallas Fed, because uh, Richard, it's great to have you back. And that that is part of the narrative here of whether the Fed is doing too much uh, and they're going to break it. It's just a matter of when, not if. What are your thoughts? Well, first, I want to go back to the comment made earlier of buying a stock at 60 times earnings as opposed to 20. When money is free, remember we had a zero interest rate regime for the longest time until recently. You can discount the present value of future profits, future cash flows, mathematically to infinity. So I think a lot of this correction is the realization that money's not free anymore. And with the two year above four and the the 10 year pushing up in that direction, you now have to look at things if you're going to determine underlying value and time uh, according to a different hurdle rate. That's what's taking place here in the market. We have a generation of investors, and I'm not talking about the panelists here because they're mature, but who weren't even in the business in 2008, 2000. So I think this is a real problem. We're going through this adjustment. Money costs something right now. What does that mean? There's an opportunity cost to going elsewhere. and. Uh, that's what's taking place right now, and it's not over. Well, I do so, think the Fed will continue the job. So, and, so expand look, on that, right? When you say it's not over, uh, to what degree isn't it over? Um, what, uh, when, Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Well, the, we Fed, the Fed thinks they know the where the destination rate. is, though, right? The Fed thinks they know where the destination ultimately is going to be. It seems the question is, can they get there? Scott, when you plot the dots, I'm a retired dot. I plotted dots the entire time I was there under Ben and under Janet. You have to come out of 2% inflation over the long run. That's a given. So then you go back from there and you have to figure out the glide path to get there. I wouldn't look much past the immediate future dot. We know where they want to take funds. As was pointed out earlier, it's a median to 4.4% by year end. Could well be higher. And definitely in next year, it could well be higher than 4.6%. It's a numerator denominator issue. One is the Fed funds rate, and the other is how far inflation comes down, that's the numerator. And as Powell has said and others have said, the neutral rate is when you get to a real rate slightly above zero. We're far from that right now. And until they feel they're getting there. And the one last thing, inflation is not a light switch, it's a dimmer. It takes time to work its way through the real economy. Well, that's you know, one of the that's well, one I, of the key criticisms, though, right, of, of the Fed at this point is that from those who suggest they're doing too much too fast, they're not mm-hmm. letting the, the dimmer effect 
work on the hikes that they've done. The, the lag is tremendous and it takes a long time and they've it's done correct. a lot and they're not patient enough to wait to see what happens. You know, still money at three or four percent is dirt cheap historically. So I don't think they're going to stop. I think they are front loading as much as possible. There is a lag, as you pointed out. Let's say you're a woman running a company. You're trying to figure out, do I accelerate my receivables, lag my payables all the way up through CapEx and everything in between, inventory management, et cetera. That's why it takes time to work its way through the economy. That process is under, underway right now. Their reading is that labor market is so strong. We have the Phillips curve is back. We have a wage price spiral and they have a lot of leeway and they're gonna exercise that leeway. You know, Jay Powell keeps a book right in front of him on his desk. It's called Keeping At It. That's yeah. Paul Volker's Wheeler. Mm -hmm. And if you notice the speech at Jackson Hole, he used the term keep at it twice in mm -hmm. that speech. So he doesn't want to be Arthur Burns. He doesn't want to go down as not having slayed the inflation dragon. Might they overshoot? Yeah, I think they might. But I don't know if it's a certainty. Is your, is your base case a, a recession or, or no? And, and let me ask you this. Let me before you answer that. I think I think a better question w would actually be: um, To what degree would they tolerate it? It almost feels like they will tolerate what they think can be a mild recession because it's the only way, at yeah. minimum, that this is going to crack. Mm -hmm. I, I think this comes down, guys, to uh, the labor market is pretty clear. Where do they? How far are they willing to take it? We have historically low unemployment right now, 3.7%. You know, all the data on the which ratio and all this stuff, and there still are too many workers, op or jobs open to relative workers to take it. I gave my last speech in 2015. I gave over 100 of them when I was at the Fed over 10 years. The only one I ever asked permission from the board to clear was my very last speech. And in it, there was a line, which was, we feel at the Federal Reserve that the non-inflationary flex point for unemployment is 6%. Now, we've made a lot of progress in terms of harnessing technology and everything since then. It's somewhere between where we are now and the mid to high fives, in my view. And I think they're willing to go in that direction. They'll get political heat from the Congress. I know for certain Mr. Powell and the committee could care less what the politicians say. If they don't stop this inflationary impulse, they don't bring that horse back to the barn, which they let out uh, based on their transitory inflation thesis, uh, they will go down in history as having done a crappy job. Mm. Maybe he okay. saw maybe he saw Elizabeth Warren's tweet uh, yesterday, the senator, of course, and, and rolled his eyes then. Um, is, are you suggesting I know you have to go? I've kept you uh, yeah, a while right. past when you have to go. But my last question. So does that are, are you telling us to expect another big uh, hike at the next meeting? Seventy five sound reasonable to you. Is that what you're suggesting? I am suggesting uh, that you will have continual rate rises for some time. And again, the point that was made earlier, which is a very good point, very sage. These are median forecasts on the dot plot. So you have to think of the consideration. They may go higher than what was in there. The 4.4% the by the end of this year may be higher. And I think certainly in next year, that'll be the real test. Have we bent the curve on inflation or not? Yeah, this no is doubt. what it all comes down to. So be careful. It's a risk-off atmosphere. It's going to stay that way as long as there is this uncertainty. All right. Risk-off atmosphere. Um, I appreciate your time as always. I really enjoy the conversation, Richard. You take care. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All, right. All right. That's Richard Fisher.
joining us there uh, on the half. Up next, we're going to get to the other committee moves. We do have some, plus financials among the biggest laggards today. We'll find out what one veteran bank analyst thinks of the environment for the sector now. What big banks you need to watch. We're back in two. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, we're back on the Halftime Report. I do have some moves to get to. But, Jim Lamenthal, I want your reaction to that last thing that Richard Fisher said. It's a risk-off atmosphere. The reason I want you to react to that is because, to me, it's pretty telling when, when a guy who used to be in the room, he used to be in the room, says it's a risk-off environment for stocks. It kind of tells you what's coming and what they're probably thinking for those who are still in the room. Now, how do you respond to that? Mm -hmm. Well, it's it's sobering. I'm not going to just, you know, gloss by it, but I'm going to say a couple of things. We're down 22 percent peak to trough. I mean, there's already been a lot of risk off. Number two, to me, and I think Mr. Fisher, I think he would agree with this based on what he said. This depends critically on where inflation's going. Let's just see how it goes over the next few months. Um, But lastly, you know, I, I, I do think we have to point out that there isn't a banking crisis right now. We haven't had, you know, some huge trading loss or some idiotic investment in a, you know, crypto hedge fund by a major money center bank. I think the absence of a banking crisis is limiting us on the downside. Hopefully that won't change. Hopefully I'm not jinxing it by bringing it up. Mm. Yeah, I, I think we hope that's true too. Um, so Josh Brown, the other move that we uh, need to get to from you is the VNQ, Vanguard Real Estate uh, ETF, correct? You bought that yesterday at the close? Yeah, yes. Real estate has been, uh, as, as an asset class, as a sector, has been under pressure all year. Uh, probably it starts to get a little bit worse as yesterday's uh, shocker works its way through expectations through the system. Uh, mortgage rates will go higher. Lending rates will go higher. Uh, however, if you look at the makeup of the Vanguard real estate ETF, it's not a bet on housing. Um, so I think I think this is an, uh, the other end of that barbell where you've already got valuations have come down a lot. Now you have a 3.34% dividend with the possibility that over a period of years, there is some capital appreciation in there as well. So I think from a risk-reward standpoint, um, that's an area where I want to start investing after having it watched 
watch it come down all year. I'll probably continue to invest there. I do not think that's the bottom. Uh, I just don't think that there's as much risk at today's valuation as there was one year ago. Okay. So, Kerry, I heard you say when I mentioned what the trade was, bold, I think you said. Um, Tell me your thoughts. (laughs) Yeah. um, Well, Josh likes to look at charts, and so do I. And so I took a look at this chart. It's It's not perfect looking. Um, it's got that head and shoulders, and let's hope it sort of s- starts to slide up to the right. Uh, you know, it's it's a bet that we're close to the um, uh, the end of the rate hikes, and because I'm not sure that we are, I think it could be a little bit early. But you know, you're talking about a sector of the economy that's generally resilient, uh, and as Jim said, there haven't been bank failures. You've got Um, A pause that's been gone on for two years plus in commercial real estate development, and it's starting to pick up in in many parts of the country. So perhaps you get the benefit of that. You've got some tailwinds. Uh, But but I think it's a bold mood. I I, I don't think it's necessarily bad, but it's, yeah, it's definitely, um, it's definitely bold, Josh. (laughs) Yeah. Carrie, uh, the the five top holdings in this ETF... um, American Tower, Crown Castle, I think Which all I of like. us would agree. Yeah. Like, I think yeah. all of us would agree, regardless of where interest rates go, people aren't uh, putting down their phones or Correct. using less broadband. Um, Prologis, yeah. which is distribution for e-commerce. Um, Equinix, sure. which is cloud computing. Um, the last one is public storage, which is recession-proof. So what people don't understand things and they just hear like, oh, why would you buy real estate? Rates are going up. It's like talking to a nine-year-old. So what I try to do is take the technicals, take the fundamentals, look at valuation. It's obvious to everyone that rates are going up. Like that's not, if you woke up and said, oh, I know something new, rates are going up. Okay. But I don't think anyone's doing that. So here's the reality. This this sector has been harder hit than the S&P with good reason. It should have been. Um, But Go back through history and tell me what is the best performing, uh, what is the best performing inflation hedge in existence? It's not gold, definitely ain't cash. It's actually real estate. Every single company in this uh, index, in this ETF, has the ability, if needed, to raise rents, raise prices. So the real risk here is: Are we going to have an economic crash? Then, of course, there will be losses. Right. There will be balance sheet issues, et cetera, et cetera. But th- so I'm willing to make the bet that that's not where we're headed. Okay. It could be wrong. And today's not my last purchase. But I, th- I think this is like an interesting place to start to look now that a lot of damage has already been okay. done. That's uh, all I'm saying. It's uh, good perspective, too. Hey, Scott, can, uh, I, can I? I, I got I to go. I, gotta, I, I really got to go, Weiss. I'll come back to you on the other side. I promise. I, I got to get the break in, okay? Okay. I promise. Steve, I promise. you could call me. All right. <laughs> uh, still ahead of rising rates and the financials. Calls of the day. Mike Santoli's midday word. Weiss's word next, too. We're back after this. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. I'm Frank Holland. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. A 6.8 magnitude earthquake hitting southwest Mexico early this morning, killing at least one person. This comes just days after another quake rocked that country. Tremors could be felt throughout the city, setting off alarms and prompting many to evacuate their homes. The Mexican president said no severe damage is being reported so far. Jenny Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, will meet with the House committee investigating the January 6th insurrection. The agreement follows weeks of negotiations, asking the conservative activists to speak with the panel. Previous reporting indicates Jenny Thomas was involved in some aspects of a scheme involving fake electors after the 2020 election and contacted Trump's lawyer about strategies to overturn the results. And Roger Federer will partner with longtime rival Rafael Nadal when he plays the final professional match of his career at the Labor Cup in London on Friday. The duo will be playing for Team Europe one last time before Federer bows out of the competition after the opening round. Federer will finish his career with 20 Grand Slam titles. Halftime, back in two minutes. We're back. Wells Fargo's Mike Mayo reacting to the Fed rate hike, noting the escape from 14 years of net interest margin suppression, calling for bank earnings to be more resilient than prior cycles. He reiterated Bank of America as his top pick, which, Steve Weiss, you happen to own. What do you think about his commentary post-Fed? Um, I think it's kind of interesting because you've got an inverted yield curve, so you're losing the spread that you typically get. Um, but there are other parts of the bank that will work well because when rates go up, yes, they can make more money on loans. But they've also got no capital markets activity, uh, whether it's M&A that's really died. So I'm sticking with it because I think it's cheap stock. Uh, I can't have no stocks. But again, I'm completely hedging my portfolio, very slightly net short. So I hope my stock picking works better. And two of those stocks that I'm picking, even though it's been painful lately, are Goldman and uh, B of A. See, even Weiss, you can't sit in cash. You can't sit in all cash. You got to put some money to work. I well, can't I'm, have no I'm stocks. Net, I'm net short, so I'm basically. That was for I'm, you, Kerry. I'm net short, so I know. I'm basically. That, that was for Kerry. That was for Kerry specifically. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Thank you, Scott. You're, you're welcome. Can we, uh, Scott? Can, can we talk about oh, one more my. thing? Yeah, Scott. Yeah. I don't think you. I, I don't think you gave enough credit to uh, to Mr. Fisher when he talked about the Sage panel member. Uh, I think we should really expound on that quite a bit. I thought he was talking about somebody else, but that, that's okay. Is that what you really wanted to say? Me. I told you I was going to come back to you to give you more time, and that was it. Now your time is up. No, here's what I want to say. Buzzer. Here, here, no, no, here's what I want to say. The real estate purchase, I don't think it makes any sense. Number one, oh, Prologis is Amazon's biggest customer. Biggest customer. What's Amazon doing? They're shedding real estate. American Tower, great company, but guess what? $150 billion enterprise value, $50 billion's debt. They admit they're over their net leverage constraints, and they grow through M&A and organically. And it's long-term contracts. So, yeah, broadband's going to keep going, et cetera, but you can't raise rates tomorrow. So I would not want to own highly leveraged companies, nor companies that have been dependent you're and have grown. You're citing, you're citing information that's, 
You're citing information that like everyone is aware. The, this, this index is down 30% but, from but the Josh, already. I don't think you're aware so, of it. Does anyone not know? Does anyone not understand guys, the dynamics? You're not a, you're, Josh, 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 let me finish. Why do you you're think aware that? of the information? You're complete. Josh, you're aware of the information. You're completely unaware of the impact of that information. And that's the where the market is aware of like the Jim information. Doesn't matter what I think. Like Jim was at 40. But Jim was at 4,800. What are you, what are you ranting about? What are you so Here angry about? <laughs> let me give you let me uh, okay, let me give so, you some good news. And so you know Josh, this. Josh, that's, you know this better that's, than I do. Josh, that's very mature. Let me give you some good news. You're very mature. Let resort, me give you some resort to let me give you some good news. name calling in order to justify your I didn't call you a name. Losing dough. What, let me give you some good news. It doesn't matter what you think or what I think, because in the end, the market will decide. So you have your opinion. Congratulations. I have no opinion about anything you're doing, but the market's going to say what happened. I can't decide, and neither could you. So exactly. that's the good news. You don't have to worry exactly. about it. Exactly. All right. Quick break. Scott, Mike, exactly. The market's decided. No, Jim, you can't. You can't. Bank you can't. Of no, down, you can't. Down from 50. Okay. Down from 50 must be a buy. Okay. Okay. Mike Santoli's next with his midday word. All right. Welcome back. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us from the New York Stock Exchange for his midday word. Uh, we've had a lot of interesting midday words on our program today already. Michael, what's yours? You sure have. Um, look, I, I think uh, a general framework that uh, has made sense uh, to me in the last month or so is that any pullbacks that we got from that mid-August high in the S&P would not necessarily have to revisit the absolute price level of the June lows before they generated this kind of extremes and you'd be oversold and you feel as if people would have lost hope again. That's now being tested, I have to uh, cer certainly confess, as we're not that far uh, from where we were in terms of S&P levels. So that, I think, is the process underway. It's almost as if, would you want to see a better purge on a day like today when we're trying to uh, sort of reprice based on what the Fed has told us? Or are we showing uh, a little bit more resilience? You have a very classic defensive type trade out here. A lot of people talking about how bonds look a little bit more attractive. They make more sense. The yield cushion has been rebuilt. I get that. But as, as you and I were talking about last night, it's hard for me to see how bonds start to do well for people in the near term without the same circumstances also being supportive of stocks because it's been the bond market that's been driving the, uh, you know, the things that are driving the bond market down have been the main weights uh, on equities as well. So I think that's the fix we're in right now. Just go back to what Richard Fisher said, right? That's pretty straightforward. It's a risk-off atmosphere from a guy yeah. who knows how to create a risk-off atmosphere. Right. And, and so clearly the don't fight the Fed uh, shadow is going to be over whatever happens in this market until we get to a point where we're at the end of that, uh, you know, at that, that process. I don't deny that. Uh, that absolutely caps the market, uh, no doubt. I just think there's a question internally of what has to uh, what still has to happen on the valuation side for the average stock, not for the index. Uh, to, to really have a, a true reckoning here. All right. All right. Good stuff. I uh, appreciate it. I'll see you for your yep. last word just a bit uh, later this afternoon in, in overtime. We'll take a quick break. We'll come right back to the halftime report. Let's go bargain hunting if we could amid some of this volatility. A new CNBC Pro screen identifying large cap stocks trading below their pre-COVID levels with a big discount to their average forward P.E. over the last five years and at least 10 percent upside relative to analyst expectations. So you got all that. 
Kerry, I wanted to do this because I see Meta on this list. Okay, it's down 35 percent since February 19th of 2020 and its forward P.E. is 15 times. Now we have this news of these cost cuts, perhaps of about 10 percent or at least reports indicating that you own it. What do we do here? So if you were to look at the new costs and apply that to the model for next year, you can really say the stock is under 14 times next year's earnings. And with all of the problems that Meta has had, beginning with changing a name in an environment that didn't seem to like that, you have to accept that they have 2 billion active users. They have listened to the criticism to some extent about Instagram, and they've returned some of that platform to what it was prior to making changes that users didn't like. Cutting 10% of the cost across the board is really going to have an impact. It's going to improve margins. And so at this price level, we think that it's washed out. It's not a stock that you would sell here. And it's a stock that people who have not owned it can look at and say, this stock is of value at the current price. Okay, Jimmy, you're all over this list with Boeing, Delta, and Alaska. Yeah, I noticed that. A lot of airline and aerospace exposure. Um, you know, just very simply here, maybe we do get a recession. You know that's not my base case. But when you look forward six months, we're likely to be recovering if that happens. There's going to be demand for air travel for years to come, not just here in the U.S., but internationally, emerging markets. You're going to need new planes. And Delta, Alaska Airlines, albeit Alaska's domestic, they're going to benefit from it. Cheap prices with good long-term prospects. All right, good stuff. Thank you. Final trades are next. All right, overtime, 4 o'clock Eastern time today. By the way, FedEx earnings are out. Did you know that? After the bell today in overtime. So important, especially after the warning of a week ago. And we may get some new stuff today. So you got to check that out. Uh, Eric Johnston is with me from Cantor as well. Uh, he's been a big-time bear. And we're going to find out if he still is. Stephanie Link, Victoria Fernandez, Steve Chevron. I hope all of you will join me there. David Albright, too. He just kills it uh, in fixed income. And we haven't heard from him in a long time. And many say that is the best place to be. He is going to give you what he thinks is the best place for your money in fixed. So uh, I'll see all of you in a few hours' time. Jim Labenthal, congratulations are in order, my friend. I'm told that Serity Partners was named to Barron's 2022 top RIA list of their top 100 independent advisors. And you guys were number 10. Congratulations, my friend. Thank you, Scott. I'm, I'm really happy on behalf of obviously not just myself, but all my partners and colleagues at the firm. I've been in this business for 25 years. The last six years at Serity Partners have been the happiest I've ever been. It's very nice to see this recognition from Barron's. Well deserved, uh, Jimmy. Thank you, you. you catch a lot of heat, but we, <laughs> we give you pats on the back when you deserve them, too. And this is a big one. So keep that big smile up. We're proud of you. That's Thank Jim you, Scott. Give me a final trade, Jimmy. Uh, Crystal Myers, uh, what you got here is a good dividend yield. You got a cheap stock in a defensive industry. I, I think this is an easy one to buy, no matter what you think of the markets here. Okay. Steve Weiss. Hey, first of all, I'm very proud, sincerely, of my friend of me, Jim, as well. That's a great job, and it's a long term recognition for you. So, congrats. Uh, I'm staying you, with Steve. Treasuries or cash. Uh, so, I bought the three year, I bought the two year. Look, they're going to be money good. So I think okay. that's a good place to put dough. All right. That's as sincere as you get, Jimmy, from, from Weiss. I mean, uh, that was, for most people, that was an outpouring of love. But that's how he does it. So just take it for what it is. Josh Brown. I know. 
uh, LNG giving very little back in the market sell-off this fall and winter are going to be very tough. Natural gama- dema- uh, gas demand okay. and electricity shortages are going to be a big story. Kerry, real quick. CRM analyst day very positive yesterday. All right, good stuff. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you in overtime. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Imagine you're on a John Deere mower with a smooth ride, intuitive controls, and attachments for every season. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.